will you tell me a bit then, Majella, about growing up in Fermanagh and your own upbringing there, your own background? My name was McCarran. It's not a very common name in Fermanagh. And even when I was looking recently at Griffith's valuation, there were only about two or three initial families. So evidently, we didn't come from there. We must have come from somewhere else. That would be in the 1860s, I guess. So I reckon that the McCarns from Kenali Parish are a distinct branch. Karen name in general was not common. It was, if it happened anywhere, it was in um, Donegal and Derry and Monaghan with a few in other places. But it just wasn't a common name anywhere in the country as far as I can make out. So from this tiny farm, I would think, in Canali Parish, my father came. And I was recently taking my nephew around the McCarns his uncles. My sister died in February of this year and she had married into Arva and I think she had a feeling that she hadn't told her children much about their Fermanagh origins. So she had asked me not too long before she died to write out at least who our uncles were. That would be his granduncles and grand-aunts on the McCarran side. I have done that and will continue to be sourcing that out. So for me the family graveyard is in Canali parish church graveyard. Looking at my uncles, two became shopkeepers. One was a guard and two or three others were farmers. And I had one aunt, Mary Bridget, and she didn't marry as another man. And they owned the, the home farm and neither of them were married. So it was out of that small town land with the most huge long name, Aha Derry Lumman. Very hard name to, to spell when I was a child. But I often went back over there on holidays. We would, because that was my father's home. So in my family, he must have married my mother. They were from almost parallel. She was from Derry Lynn Parish, she was from Kinali. And even geographically, there were two parallel roads, I would think. Well, I'd be interested in this, like, he went away off into a much deeper <laughs> interior, about 10 miles away, to build a little house and a little shop. And the shop, was on very close to Loch Erne. I would have always thought that he was a busy little man. He probably didn't marry until his late 30s, I would think, or maybe 40s. And he would have served his time as a barman all up around Dowra and Bonboy and also in Galway. He probably was the very first in the area to get a car as well. So every Sunday we'd be packed into the car and brought to one or other of these places. He's forever bringing us back. And I'm doing the same thing now, and I'm doing it to my nephew, showing him where we were brought back to. It was a beautiful geographical memory, you know, and it's a very unusual part of Ireland that is very remote, if you like. The Quilke Mountains, part of Leitrim, part of Fermanagh, I suppose part of Cavan, part of Sligo. So it was a case of rambling around that as a child. And my other uncle, his shop was just opposite the church in Canali, and I would have often gone there on holiday. So in both cases, both paternal and maternal homes, it was regular, sometimes to go home from school with your cousins. I was very lucky, and that small primary school is called Aklamad, A-U-G-H-K-I-L-L-Y-M-A-U-D-E. Acclimad is what they call it, but it has such a spelling. When the school closed, I never knew which school my mother went to, for example, or my father, whether little local schools in their time, I don't know. It's very special in that it's a mummer's museum at the moment. Uh, there's a man there called 
led with and he has made a kind of a, a profession out of developing knowledge about the mumming tradition and there are mummers in various countries all over Europe so they're like choral societies they visit each other's countries and even though to me it's very simplistic as a piece of entertainment but I would have remembered them coming to the house especially in November I think in the the awful loud banging on the door and then the floors were made of stone there was no carpet and there was no the cement at best and the clatter of these hobnail boots on the floors that did their dance and they had their straw skirts on them and their straw hats like fascinating for a child that I suppose the townland was called Cornelec and it just flowed right down to the to the shore I think when I was say between maybe nine and eleven i think there were very few other children in that town and if there were any because we were petted and pampered a lot we were sent off to different houses you might learn to drop spuds we had this word dibbling it was three holes and three pieces of spud and that was covered and i remember dibbling for one i suppose he was quite a young man but he sang the whole time when i'd be throwing the spuds into the bucket and from him I would have heard the kind of all the songs about the people from Donegal who went to Scotland to potato pick and many of them had boat disasters and tragedies. So many of the songs were very sad about that time. Yeah, the, at school, quite a good school, wonderful, My especially my early years were good. I was the eldest of my family of five. And there were two. My late brother was next to me, two years younger. So he would also have a very, had a very good memory of the place. But then there was six years to the next three. And when I was 13, we upped and went, which I thought was 100 miles away, which is only 10. It takes you 15 minutes to get to where he now bought my father a pub and a shop. And he had served his time there, maybe two owners before that there were cousins of ours who evidently owned the business so he bought into that business as well. What was Magella McCarran like at school? Was she a good girl or what did you enjoy school? I possibly did and I'd say as bright as a button from day one. <laughs> I'd say I was, you know, I mean I, I think that about myself. My Both my parents would have been quite smart people but not pushy, not over-ambitious. Contentment in our house was more than anything. It's not a potching about at that time. So alcohol was a problem in households too. But I have very few memories of that. At school, sewing was one of the things we did. And we had a wonderful primary school teacher in my junior years. And I always remember us making our sewing bag, which must have been about a foot by six inches, with a flap over, which was made from a, a meal bag. So that bit of it was very pleasant, I remember that. But then, I suppose when we were about 11, 12, we progressed to turning the heel of a sock. And I noticed that I am specially quite weak. If you show me step by step how to do it, I understand. But if you present me with the heel of a sock and say, that's how I got there. And poor me, I would struggle and struggle and struggle. And my mother wasn't interested in knitting. She was good at sewing. I remember liking art classes, but they were very simple classes now. And I would remember I forever was painting a ship with a sail on a lake. 
and swans because we're in school looking out over the Arn. Boats would have been part of my childhood landscape. And the swans, you know, they're still there today. In school, in primary school, missionary zeal was at its zenith. We had the black baby cards and it was so exciting because you sent away your completed card with your 50 pence, which was 50 peas, 50 holes. You got a little gift back. So, you know, I think all children had that excitement of sending off their first letter and getting a letter back and a gift back. And I remember my father had done the same with Santa Claus letters. He had kind of made us or helped us to send a letter to Santa Claus and a whole lot of Hans Christian Andersen tales came back in an envelope. So there's an absolute thrill in sending out and getting back. And one of the daft things I did when I was a child, I always imagined, you know, and luckily I've been able, I suppose, to control it or to guide it, but I'd see the end product, not the in-between. I haven't a note in my head musically, and yet I saw an ad when I was under 12 for a violin and some newspaper. So off I sent without telling anybody for the violin. So it never came anyway, so it must have been explained to me that I that I had no, hadn't a note in my head. But I remember in secondary school doing the same thing. And my secondary school was very limited. And I think that's, I was thinking back, I was quite offended when I saw in God's Entrepreneurs how I described in an interview my schooling as being very kind of incomplete. But truly, I suppose now when I think of it, that's indeed what it was. But to see it written down, because like after all, like I was eventually to do a science degree and and lots of other things. So in a way, it was the structure of the time. But I remember I would have been very attracted to drama and producing drama, whether I understood what I was doing or not. And I couldn't find any plays. Now, I had a cousin who was a good dead long ago who was great at drama in our parish so I suppose I was imitating him but anyway I sent off for this extraordinary little book an ad in the paper again and got it and produced a play of which I didn't understand one word it must have been a a little Greek play (laughs) not a word and I trained my four classmates (laughs) to do this play without understanding one word it must have been the language that I wanted and it must have been the power of direction that I wanted or and just the pure attraction of trying something satisfaction but like I thought that was quite extraordinary like when I look back wouldn't have been very drawn to hard academic work at all and wouldn't today either I'd only be useful at what I'm deeply interested in anyway to go back I was saying about the zeal and you know there is a there's a thesis done somewhere by somebody from Galway on missionary literature of that era but I think it'd be really interesting to read that because that is the era that I would have come out of the far east was big Strangely enough, our own booklet or magazine, monthly magazine, was from Cork, which was very far away at that time. The Medical Missionaries of Mary had one out as well. And I was very attracted to them because I could see their hair. They they looked like normal women. They had a costume and a veil. But then the medical side of it didn't attract me at all. I don't know how much time and thought I gave to this. But anyway, I was forever writing letters and looking for things and responding to ads. So I suppose when I got to about 12, I saw an ad looking for nuns. 
<laughs> Simple as that. So in true traditional fashion, I sent off an error. <laughs> so, so it wasn't unusual for me to be sent. Well, I only sent now to that group. I don't know. I think it was for them that I was doing the prick cards. So I had been slowly building up a relationship. So one would have to go back to the 50s to look at that magazine, say, from about just 1950, 51, 52, because in 52, my parents, like, but I think it's absolutely the culture of the time. There's a mission-saturated culture. That's why it wasn't so extraordinary, because I would look at my granny started secondary school this week or last week, and she's exactly the age I was when I opted to leave for Manna and to go to County Down to where our sisters had a school. Well, I thought they had a school. In the spirit of the time, every missionary congregation was putting in place what they called a juniorate. And my parents wouldn't have had a clue what a juniorate was. They probably looked at what fees were being charged for attending this place and said, that's where she wants to go. The fees are much more reasonable than they are in the local secondary school. So let her go. Do you know, I remember walking out I think my father was cleaning out his car and I walk on out with this magazine and say, that's where I want to go. At age 13, I, I'm looking now at my grandniece in horror, really and truly, because there would have been several things lacking there. The lack of, you know, contact between the parent and the organisation and the institute. All communication was with a 13-year-old and before that was a 12-year-old about very big, life-changing decisions. There was never... Well, it, it strikes me a bit similarly when I attend wedding receptions and the groom's people are sitting at that table and the bride's people are sitting. And they wouldn't even today hardly talk to each other and they have never met and they've never discussed in a large number of cases. So this problem of communication in, the, in Irish society is serious. People are kind of keep very much to their own box. But I would regard that as being a very serious because lots of girls and boys I would have thought went to juniorettes and then very soon dropped out and you know it would have disturbed their lives quite a bit because I went and I thought I was going to a secondary school and I arrived at a big castle in County Down and I was the first class and there were only four of us in the first class in a castle dark and dreary in September also, I was from the north. I didn't speak Irish. If I had gone to secondary school in my own local town of Inniskillen, I would have learned Irish from the word go. But because this was a southern institute, they hadn't thought out what were they going to do if they had northerners who didn't learn Irish. So there was a pathetic effort to learn Irish. All the time, people didn't know what to do. And I think the sisters who came home were from great big schools on the missions. So I'd love to know what their opinion of the four girls. And then there were seven of us, I think, after Christmas. And then maybe we were 14 or 15 the next year. But it didn't last. And I wouldn't know how long it, maybe 10 years, maybe 12 years. Now we're well taught. We were very comfortably looked after. But we were missing a lot of things that a secondary school was providing, you know, even games. We didn't even enough to make a team to play any particular. And then I think when you're taught by people who spent their lives on the missions, they're a bit deculturized as well because they haven't been in Ireland. And like when I went to Nigeria, I saw everything that a big school offers much later. 
and there was no way they could offer that with four people or seven people in the class. And my 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 mystery is how little my parents were ever consulted. And then what I think I began to do, my brother came two years after me. He was an 11 plus entrant. He went to grammar school and I was trying to compare myself to him. And he was talking about Virgil and talking about Aeneid and I had nothing to talk. I was learning grammar and I was learning, I certainly learned all the basics of Latin, basics of French, the tiniest bit of Irish. But there was no way that I was, as the years went on, that I was in a comparable position to him. There were no exams bargained for. And like, that was a huge mystery because I wouldn't have known anything about secondary school either. So in the north we would have been doing junior cert at 15 and senior cert at 17. And there was no talk of junior cert or senior cert. There was no talk of your leaving cert. There was no talk of any structure. So I suppose one would have had to go back now and read the rationale for putting the juniors in place. Was it that they deliberately didn't offer you in an education in the formal sense, in the institutional sense, so that they thought you weren't coming for an education? You were coming because you thought you wanted to be a missionary. But for lots of children who would have dropped out, and lots of them didn't come back, I often wonder what happened to them in later life. I'd say that they got back into the system. That is an area well worthy of research. Mm. That And it was a very distinct phase, probably about 20 years, of the junior at experience in, both, in religious institutes, both men and women. And how come you stuck it out, Magella? Did you want to be a missionary at that stage? I did, I suppose. I did, but I enjoyed secondary school as well and I enjoyed what was going on and really where we were was a beautiful place, Ross Trevor, looking out over Carliford Lock. And the sisters were very nice, they were lovely to us. And yes, my total end was sitting under a tree teaching catechism, that was the predominant. And now, of course, you were already in the mission culture because everybody who was teaching you had been a missionary. They came from a place in Cork called Ardfoyle Convent. So you began to get a second layer of the culture, of the missionary culture. So for me, it wasn't a very serious problem. I do remember, well, what was maybe 16, 17 I was when I left there. But I was aware I was leaving without any... No, I'd only done four years. I didn't do a fifth year. Because I think there was a push on to produce some goods from this this school. So two of us were asked, would we like to go on to Cork now? Well, I remember being quite reluctant about that. But how do you at 16 express that? It's not that easy. It wasn't so much reluctant about going on, but I would have liked to finish my five years. I would have liked to have some kind of a qualification on a par with my brother. He was the only one that I knew really at that time in secondary education because I'd left all my own friends like in, in primary school because I lost when we moved business the 10 miles then I lost my primary community which was quite serious actually at age 12 13 second time I came back on holidays I came back to a different home or I came back the day before we moved home I was sent for so that I would be part of the moving but then nobody thought much of going back we had made a big jump 
So I would have kind of lost my community. So I wouldn't have known what happened my classmates from primary school, except my cousins. I would have known always what they'd been up to. And there had been about seven of them. Most of them became farmers' wives or married farmers. So that's what I remember about that. And when you got to Cork, and how did you get from there to Nigeria? There were a good group, a large group of us in the novitiate. And it was a very enlivening experience. Oh, it was very institutional, but you know, there's a great comfort in being an institution. And you certainly learn to be disciplined and you learn how to work. And there was great order and that was beneficial because later on in life, then it wasn't difficult for you to fit into running a school or like you'd gone through it all from the beginning. But I'd say we're a very happy bunch of people. And the Missionary Institute I belonged to, there was no kind of serious aberrations of any sort in it. And I think that's because the people dealing with us had missionary experience all the way. I remember the first Christmas in the convent, and I'm sure this was in convents generally. They knew it was a very harsh time because the first time been away from home. And you didn't get any letters during Advent. These more senior people told you it was going to be a terrible time. But then it was made like fairyland. You woke 12 o'clock at night. You went to bed, this drab, not a sign of Christmas anywhere. And then you woke up to a Christmas fairyland. You had, you know, a group came through the dormitories singing Hark the Herald Angels Sing. You got up and you went to midnight mass and you came out and you had all your letters stacked on your plate in the middle of the night, you know. So it was a beautiful, that really was beautiful. But I think it was the big group of us of the same age. We didn't go out at all or we didn't handle money. We would have been properly institutionalised. So there was a kind of a split there in that the formation certainly wasn't missionary. We were surrounded by people who, and the coming and the goings every so often, because our sisters used to go out in the Innisfallen, the boat to Liverpool, and then get the other boat from Liverpool to Lagos or to Ghana. There'd be a big farewell ceremony when anybody was going in the chapel, the Salva Regina. And then at night, usually the boat left at six, you'd be out with lights and lamps. Just as very lucky, everywhere I was, I was looking over water. So the Innisfallen went down the lee. So that that coming and going just became, it was an exciting, it turned out like to be as good as you thought, you know. It, there was nothing dull about it. And then you had to start to study again towards the end of second year because nobody at this stage was going out without a professional qualification. You wouldn't have got into the country because this now is 1960 plus after the independence of Nigeria. And its whole structure was based on the British structure. In my secondary school experience, I know that I was very good at English language and literature and history. They would have been my strong subjects. And I would have always got kind of first in the class. I, I didn't have a problem being a leader, you know, as well. I, I don't think I'd be an oppressive person, although I'd be a fierce, kind of self-righteous person. And I'd say that comes hard, but then it lends itself to justice work as well. And then in the northern thing of being a kind of outspoken and kind of demanding as well. But we were talking about this recently in our community that sometimes we don't know enough about our respective cultures within Ireland that you know, we're very quite different county by county or region by region. And certainly northerners would find being south difficult enough. And I would think that would be because of the impact of the two traditions in the north, that we'd have absorbed quite a bit of the Ulster tradition, which would be Scottish and English. So 
we'd have absorbed that as well somehow. But anyway, I then was asked, I would have four years secondary done to prepare for matric. There's going to be no time spent on doing leave and cert. You did matric to get into university to begin your professional training. And then the huge problem of Irish came up because you couldn't sit for matric without sitting for the Irish paper. And there again, I found that unbelievable and still find it unbelievable. We had a provincial at the time who was extremely forward-looking, progressive, because sometimes they've been lazy about sending people to mission. But she wanted everybody to go to mission and she wanted everybody to be a professional. So she was pushy in academics, which was to our advantage, but <laughs> tough enough because I was given six months to prepare for matric, full range of subjects, uh, French, Latin, math. So my education in Ross Trevor and County Down, you know, enabled me, had left me at a position where with intense study within six months when I was about 19 or 20. And I was told to go and do Irish and there's no more. So I went in and left a blank paper. So that obedience there was very odd and failed I think maths, French and no Irish. So I was left with the new situation that I had to repeat those subjects. And then I was told, well, now you'll have to take upper maths. Oh, the Irish was a panic. I mean, that would be a story in itself because at that stage they brought in the oral and I hadn't a clue of the questions that was asked. <laughs> Not a clue. And I remember writing in the end of my exam paper that I was never destined for work in Ireland and I wouldn't be teaching in Ireland. You know what you do as a student, you study all the past papers and you, you begin to pray for a miracle then that the person who asks you to answer in English or Irish would be on the year. So luckily enough, I got a lot of options of answering English or Irish. So I would do word recognition, like if I got three words from a poem, I knew what the poem, like a great photographic memory. So I used a lot of photographic memory skills to get me through and I passed, but my God, whether it was a charity pass or what, I mean, I didn't know any Irish and that just was it. But anyway, I got my matric completed and that was probably 1961, I suppose, yes. And then I went, but then I was asked to do science, which was an awful shock to my system because I'd never done, been good at English and good at literature, never heard of physics. I remember looking up in a dictionary what the word physics meant. And I'll never forget science of measurement was what I got. I was sent to out to the technical college in Cork with a few others to do the basics of physics and the basics of chemistry. But I just knew I had no desire that spatial thing, you know, physics is a, it's, it's a depth science, you know. Even the subjects I selected in first year showed my poor dilemma. I did chemistry and botany and geography and psychology. <laughs> you knew you could drop psychology after first year and you could drop geography after second year. And you're left with your two science subjects and you could do honours in one and therefore you only had to do one, so it all worked out.